This is the scripture lesson and sermon for June 18th. Listen now for our scripture text taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with a skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? So where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rudyard Kipling lived from 1865 to 1936. And although a Brit, he was born in Bombay, India. And as you know, he was not only a poet, but he was also the author of books such as Captain's Courageous and How the Leopard Got His Spots and The Jungle Book. Kipling's writings were not only made him famous, but also brought him a fortune. A newspaper reporter one day came up to him and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read that somebody calculated that the money you make from your writings amounts to over $100 a word. The reporter reached into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and said, here's a $100 bill, Mr. Kipling. Now give me one of your $100 words. Kipling looked at the money, put it in his pocket and said, thanks. A simple word, thanks. Parents hopefully teach us the importance of saying that little word with a big meaning when somebody has done something for us. Maybe Jesus had hoped for that as well. The story we read this morning only appears in the Gospel according to Luke. The journey upon which it was told actually doesn't begin there, but actually 10 chapters earlier. And during that important teaching, time with the disciples, Jesus focuses on various aspects of discipleship. Along this journey, he uses some of the greatest parables known, such as the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son. And this was an important teaching time for Luke in the life of Jesus. So what are we to learn from this story? Well, let's first take a look at what leprosy was. Leprosy was one of the most feared illnesses at that time. The term leprosy, as used in the Bible, referred to a wide variety of infectious skin rashes, sores, or eruptions, not just clinical leprosy as we know it today. Hebrew law had specific instructions for those with this conditions. It says in the text, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
This is from Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. This meant that when Jesus came by, they had to stand at a distance from him. In fact, they were not allowed to approach anyone. They had to keep a distance of a minimum of six feet from other people, including their family members. And furthermore, lepers were not allowed to live within the walls of the city. They were cast out and completely avoided by everyone. Such a state, as you can imagine, surely meant isolation and shame, not only for the person suffering, but for the whole family as well. And that culture, in order to be healed, a priest, not a medical professional, had to state that the person was well, and that's a Jewish priest, thus allowing the person to fully return to community life. So Jesus' command to go and show themselves to the priests was the next right step in healing. In spite of this torturous state, those 10 lepers were actually quite brave and may serve as an example to us all. Dr. Brene Brown, you may know of her name, sociologist and expert on the topics of shame and vulnerability, says in her book, Daring Greatly, quote, daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, to have the hard conversations. Check, check, check. Did that. In spite of their positions as outcasts, those men called out to Jesus for healing. Their vulnerability was rewarded. Jesus healed them on their way to see the priest. But while they experienced physical and religious wholeness, was their healing complete? Only one returned to say thank you to Jesus. The one who was the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, a foreigner, a Samaritan, at that, and one who was further marginalized because of his ethnicity and religious heritage. Jews and Samaritans did not mix. Yet once again, Jesus throws out the rules of society and sees the person instead. And because of the humility of that now former leper, he was the only one who experienced full and complete wholeness. Brene Brown says during her research, quote, I have never interviewed a single person who talks about the capacity to really experience and soften into joy who does not actively practice gratitude. Jesus knew that as well. He knew that expressing gratitude really shows one's heart as fully healed. And to express gratitude is the hallmark of being vulnerable. We're grateful for what another has done for us. The opposite of this might be entitlement or cynicism. Perhaps it's an attitude of, what have you done for me lately? And with that attitude, we wear a sort of protective shield, perhaps not believing we're worthy of love or healing, or not believing that healing is possible at all. When, sh when someone shows vulnerability, it's re really difficult to do anything else but to open your and my heart to them, right? That's what happened to me when I read the story of Peter and Aaron Barry 
and the recent 20, May 25th edition of Sports Illustrated. The brothers are starters on the basketball team for the University of Alabama, but not on the men's varsity team, on the men's wheelchair basketball team. You see, at the ages of eight and six, the then boys were traveling by car back to their home in Houston, Texas, with their parents and young sister, coming back from vacation on the 4th of July weekend in 2011. Tragically, the driver in the oncoming car was distracted and hit them head on, killing their parents, wounding their sister dramatically, and ending up paralyzing the two young boys from the waist down. Their uncle, Adam, booked the next flight to Lubbock, which is where they were at that time, to be with the children. Adam says this in the article, in the airport security line, a stranger struck up a conversation. How are you doing? He replied, not good, not good at all. The other man said, it's another day and you're alive and breathing, be grateful. Easier said than done. Adam thought, I thought about those words, and it's real. It's true. The world is messed up. Anything can happen at any time. We all hear that, but we don't know it until it happens to us. But right there, I thought, wow, that's true. Be grateful somehow. That belief must have carried him through many years, in the following years. Now, some people might struggle as expected with their futures. And don't get me wrong, the story has paragraph after paragraph of the agony and hard work that they went through as a family. It must have taken their aunt and uncle superhuman strength to raise them after the many months that they spent even at Shriners Hospital in Chicago. And when they were released, the doctor told them, raise them to be Aaron and Peter. They can do whatever they want to do. And so at the very formative time in their middle school years, both boys began to work out. And they developed a niche for themselves in wheelchair basketball. The article says that Peter has been such a standout player that his coach says, were it not for the wheelchair, he would be a top contender for the NBA draft. He's just that good. Nevertheless, Peter will likely participate in the Paralympics in 2024 in Paris as one of the youngest Americans on the team. Peter's not motivated one bit by self-pity, according to this article. He says it drove him crazy when he recently went to a grocery store in Tuscaloosa and someone looked at him and told him they were praying for him. You're not asking to pray for anyone else, Peter said. You obviously think there's something wrong with me. But I'm not living to walk again. That's not my purpose, he says. I am well. I am healthy. I have everything I need, and I'm grateful for what I have. If I was only living to walk again, I'd not be able to focus on what I can do when I'm not walking. The article in a secular sports magazine doesn't go into their faith lives as young Jewish men. 
but it's obvious that there's an undercurrent to those who can read between the lines. Peter says this in the continuing, whatever I've been through, someone else has gone through something worse. Not to belittle my tragedy, but it's true. If you allow misfortune to happen in vain, whatever you believe in, you failed God's challenge. You failed in your purpose if you can't do justice to your story and make the most of what you have. I struggle with that the most, finding the why, he says. But I've come to realize I don't have to know why it happened." End quote. The boys' youth coach says, Peter Berry was born and destined to be superhuman. It doesn't really matter what direction Peter's life had gone. He was going to be a force for good on our planet. Wheelchair basketball is more an outlet for who he is than a crucible that made him who he is. He continues, Peter has come to realize his story can have a greater purpose to further expand the already growing footprint of adaptive sports and to use wheelchair basketball as a force for changing perceptions of disabled people. Amazing. To practice gratitude intentionally changes an individual life to be sure. We know that. We've all experienced that. But it doesn't just end there. When a congregation practices gratitude, it has an almost exponential effect. One person sitting in the pew plus another and another equals an explosion of goodness and power. That can even happen online. When people of faith practice gratitude as a congregation, they come to worship not just to get something out of it, but to give thanks and praise to God. Their cups runneth over, as we say. As one theologian says to the effect, quote, stewardship is transformed from fundraising into the glad attitude of joyful givers. The mission of the church changes from an ethical duty out of an internal moral compass to the work of grateful hearts and hands. Prayer moves from only supplication to hearts overflowing with thanks and praise for all that has been done. We can't help but be in awe in such cases. Our hearts are moved and opened. So, what has God done for you lately? And how have you responded? Alleluia. Amen. <laughs>